Welcome to Future of Freedom. I'm your host, Scott Bertram. Future of Freedom is a production of America's Talking Network. You can check out all of our great podcasts at americastalking.com. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. We bring you interviews today from both sides of the debate over the need for the government regulation of AI, artificial intelligence. In a little bit, we'll be joined by Samuel Hammond. He is senior economist with the Foundation for American Innovation. Find them at thefai.org. First, we talk with James Broll, senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. You can find them at cei.org. At James Broll on Twitter, that is B-R-O-U-G-H-E-L. James, thanks so much for joining us here on Future of Freedom. Thanks for having me. Discussing today the issue of the, the potential government regulation of AI, of artificial intelligence. You've written that some, some advocates for regulation perhaps have good intentions, but aren't sure or aren't clear about the basis for public policy intervention, when it should happen. How would you define that? What's a reasonable basis for public policy intervention on a subject like AI? We have a long history of regulation in the United States. And uh, as a result of that, there's quite a, a body of work that has been compiled by economists and academics and government officials about best practices with respect to regulation. And the primary economic rationale for regulation is that there's some kind of market failure that exists. So there's either a uh, some kind of inefficiency where people could be made better off at a reasonable cost, but for whatever reason, the market isn't achieving that outcome. Some examples of market failures are things like externalities, like pollution mm -hmm. or public goods or um, monopoly power and things of that sort. Um, what's kind of striking about the debate so far, I would say, about artificial intelligence and regulation of artificial intelligence, it's just how vague a lot of the discussion is. Uh, there's a lot, especially online, there's a lot of kind of doom and gloom prophecies about how AI might lead to the end of the world. There are also more pragmatic people arguing for AI regulation as well, but there's not a lot of specifics. And very often, the AI regulation advocates kind of jump to policy conclusions without really explaining how they got there. So we know a lot about regulation and what, what, how, what, how regulations should be tailored to address real problems, but the AI de de debate so far seems to be kind of detached from a lot of that. You point out, and, and I, I've read some people who are, I don't want to say afraid, but concerned, concerned about artificial intelligence and, and what you kind of call the, the doomsday scenario that quite literally, if given enough time and information that AI could take over the world and, or make some very bad decisions. I, I shorthand it by calling it the Terminator problem. You've seen the film. You know how it, what happens 30 years in the future. AI takes over, launches strikes against humanity. Okay, this is a, a scenario that people perhaps might have in their mind for the future. I, is there any real evidence that that is a progression that is possible in the world of artificial intelligence? So at this point, it's all quite speculative. I mean, there are academic discussions along these lines, and usually what happens is someone is just kind of theorizing about a plausible chain of events that could spiral out of control and lead to the end of humanity. There's a academic by the name of Nick Bostrom who has a famous paper about a paperclip maximizer, 
where an artificial intelligence is tasked with producing paper clips and it essentially pursues that goal at any cost. It enslaves humanity. It turns every resource on earth into uh, something that's dedicated to paperwork production. And it just does pursue this goal until uh, civilization is destroyed. But beyond just mere speculation, there really is not evidence at this point to suggest that this is a likely chain of events or is even really at all plausible, certainly not with existing technology. I mean, artificial intelligence we have is amazing, um, especially in the last year, there have been uh, incredible innovations in terms of some of the chatbots and large language models and the image generators, but we, we're not even close to anything along the lines of those kinds of problems. And at this point, what I, what I think is most problematic about those kinds of discussions is there are legitimate concerns about AI and problems that are likely to arise from AI in the, in the areas of discrimination or uh, government use of artificial intelligence, um, especially transportation. There's a, there are a, a, a plethora of areas where this technology is going to be used. And, and with like any new technology, you're going to have speed bumps and run into problems and those are going to have to be addressed. And at this point, the existential risk discussion is really just kind of a big dis distraction. So you, you have made the delineation between existential risks, which is somewhat the doomsday scenario, and ordinary risks, uh, risk to our privacy that AI presents, risk to security that AI presents, risk to the quality of information due to the possibility of deep fakes being created. Could you see any of those ordinary risks rising to a level in which government regulation would be required? So the first thing I would say is it's probably inevitable that regulations are going to come and that's just by virtue of the fact that there's regulatory agencies in the United States have, there's so many laws that empower these agencies across the government in so many areas that it's, it's virtually inevitable that they're going to start issue, issuing regulations. I would say on a, we have to evaluate specific proposals on a case-by-case -case basis, and there aren't a lot of specific proposals at this point. Um, and, but it's possible for, for sure that some regulations could make sense in some particular instances. But I think that we should evaluate those, those proposals basically based on evidence that a problem exists uh, and based on evidence that the solution being proposed is tailored to the problem and is likely to be worth the cost. Talking with James Brohl from the Competitive Enterprise Institute, CEI.org. He is a senior fellow there. I wanted to ask a little deeper about the quality of information question, the idea, not just idea, but reality of deep fake video, deep fake audio. Is there a worry that that sort of ordinary threat can morph into an existential threat because of the, the, the information being presented? The person who is, who is said to have said those things, who is, who is shown to have done those things, are we or should we be more concerned uh, about the deep fake ability of AI? So this is absolutely a legitimate concern about AI. I mean, already we've seen since the advent of the media, of the internet and social media, there are issues with the quality of information on the internet now. And this is a polarized issue, but I think both the left and the right have concerns about 
um, about fake news online and, and how social media companies or the government address those issues. And I, I think that these challenges are going to get much, much more significant in the years ahead as a result of AI. When we're, when we have images or videos or audio of people speaking that is, is not genuine content, but looks as real as a genuine video. And when you have public figures or politicians that appear to be saying things and aren't that they're not saying, there are certainly some bad scenarios you could envision coming out of that. What the solution to that problem is, is not obvious. I mean, there are proposals to watermark content that is generated by AI so essentially identify or be transparent about AI-generated content. And mm -hmm. I think there's a, a significant chance that a fair amount of AI-generated content will have this. Just companies are going to try to incorporate it into, the, in, into their systems. But I do, it's going to be imperfect. And the mechanisms for identifying content, for like testing whether text was generated by an AI, by an AI or mm -hmm. whether a video was, it's, it's going to be imperfect and it's going to take a lot of expertise to fine tune that. And I would imagine that this is going to be a race that the human race is going to be stuck with for a long time where we're just trying to keep up with the latest technology and, sh and be able to demonstrate the reality from fiction. Regulation on any level can, can act to, to, to stifle um, or, or, or limit the creativity, the benefits of a particular technology like AI. Do you think it's still too soon is AI too new? Have we not been able to see the potential available through AI? Would, would regulation now help to crush some of those potential roads that we might go down? Now is a particularly important time in the development of AI just because it's, it's so new. And it's not even really clear who the dominant players are going to be. I mean, we have OpenAI. They created ChatGPT or Midjourney or Dali or some of the big image generators. But do we really know whether these are going to be the industry leaders five years from now, a year from now, 10 years from now? I mean, it's there's always a danger with regulation that you're going to lock in the dominant players. And very often, dominant players in an industry will start calling for regulation once they achieve that position. And we're already seeing that from companies like OpenAI and, and Microsoft and it's just so unclear where what this technology is going to look like even a year from now. It's very different now, today, the landscape than it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's a little early. And, and the, best, the best solution is really to address problems as they arise. Problems are, are inevitable, as I said. And when we see issues, or I'll just give an example. There was a woman in Detroit who was um, arrested for carjacking and she'd been identified through facial tech recognition technology. Hmm. Um, and she was misidentified by this technology and she, she had been arrested and she was pregnant. And, um, you know, there was also, she was an African-American woman. So and there are issues with these technologies with respect to race at times. And like, that's a, a clear instance where you could see there could be a problem here and, Maybe we should, we should think carefully about how we want these kinds of technologies used. So as those kinds of problems arise, that's how we should respond to them. But right now, it's just 
asking for blanket AI regulation or a new AI regulatory agency. It's, it's, um, it's just jumping the gun a little bit mm-hmm. when there's just too much uncertainty. Proponents of uh, government action, one route they are looking at is legislation or rules to democratize access to AI research tools. Is that a good idea? Should AI research be open to good actors, to perhaps bad actors? Alternately, should we trust that larger companies like Google or Microsoft will be responsible and and, and good leaders in AI development? What are your thoughts? Sure. So um, I guess there's different people might mean different things when they say democratize access. But um, if we're calling for nationalization of artificial intelligence tools, which I've seen some people propose, I mean, that to me just seems very overly optimistic about the ability of the government really to innovate in this area. I mean, this is just a classic example of private sector innovation that it's hard to imagine a a big government bureaucracy um, being able to keep pace in the same way that Silicon Valley tech firms that are just at the cutting edge of technology are able to. So um, that to me just seems particularly uh, implausible. There are also open source technologies that, for example, Facebook is is working on an AI algorithm and they've made the code publicly available and that's going to enable democratic, a kind of democratic evolution of of the technology. But a lot of people are actually afraid of that because it's harder to control when Mm -hmm. it's more democratic in that sense. Then you end up with the guys in their basement working on the new technology and potentially bad actors who are have ill motives or views way outside the mainstream could get a hold of technology and do some damage with it. I mean, in a sense, we're in a kind of a safe position right now because there's a it's a small number of big technology firms that are have a long reputational history mm-hmm. um, and a reputation to protect that are the leaders in this area. That may not be the case forever, but so long as we're in that position, I mean, that may be the best position to be in. Uh, I'd much rather see Google or Microsoft or Facebook be the leader in this area than some guy in his basement hmm. or China. So, you know, that's another danger. So if we start, even if even if the leading tech firms are asking for regulation and the government is working closely with them to oversee what they're doing, we don't know what other people are doing. Hmm. Uh, we don't know what other countries are doing. So in a sense, we're, our, our best option is really just to see let this play out and see where it goes. Final question for James Brohl, Senior Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, CEI.org. You alluded a bit to this earlier, and I wanted to ask further about what's described as algorithmic discrimination or by some other names. What do we do? How should we handle artificial intelligence when it wants to act in a way that would perhaps violate our laws? or caught against our ideals uh, when it comes to, in this particular instance, civil rights laws or something else like that? I, what's a proper response? Sure. So there's not a, there's not a simple answer here. And, and there's, a, a, there's a lot of debates that were, are ongoing in our society about what is, what is fair, what is the right level of anti-discrimination policy 
that we should have. I mean, there's a big discussion about affirmative action and mm-hmm. the Supreme Court has struck it down. And there's reasonable views that people have on all sides of this issue. I mean, the first thing I would say is just that there are also already anti-discrimination laws on the books. And you're not suddenly allowed to discriminate just because you have an algorithm reviewing resumes for your company or coming up with questions for you to ask during interviews or whatever it might be that it doesn't exempt you from the existing laws, just like you wouldn't be allowed to go over the speed limit just because you're using autopilot. And mm-hmm. I mean, New York city just passed a, a law recently related to a artificial intelligence and employment related discrimination. I think their, their law requires that companies that use these use AI related technology in the hiring process have to undergo audits of some kind. But this just raises all kinds of questions, which is what should the audit look look for? And what and ultimately what is discrimination? So they're going to have to decide what what should essentially the algorithm be concluding um, if it's going to be fair or how should it be programmed if it if the if it's more the process we want to be fair as opposed to that the outcome. Um, and these are these are ethical questions essentially that really aren't specific to artificial intelligence in in a lot of ways. And another challenge is just that these AI algorithms are trained on human writing and, and data. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're trained on internet materials or books and to the extent that there's discrimination in human writing and speech and you'd expect some of that to be reflected in the ai algorithm and ultimately the root problem there is really something deeper about our society it's not necessarily the fact that the ai algorithm picks that up so at the end of the day these are important questions and i think that they're not going to have easy solutions they're just going to be things that we're going to have to wrestle with for a long time James Brohl is Senior Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, CEI.org. You can find him on X or Twitter at James Brohl. That's B-R-O-U-G-H-E-L. James, thanks so much for joining us here on The Future of Freedom. Thank you. Now to hear the argument from another side of the issue, we bring in Samuel Hammond, Senior Economist with the Foundation for American Innovation at TheFAI.org. Samuel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Discussing today uh, different options and and different arguments in the discussion around the potential regulation of AI. I wanted to ask first, where do you think we are in the knowledge gathering process? Meaning, is it too early to act? Do you feel like we know enough about AI and about its possibilities that it's the time to take some of these steps? What what do we know? One thing we know is that the uh, capabilities of these models get reliably better with scale. And so what has people excited but also nervous is looking at these scaling curves and seeing where the technology is headed within the next two, four, or five years. So I, I would caution against regulating in the context of the current state of technology being where things end. And this has also been a point that's been expressed by uh, Sam Altman and other heads of, ma- of these major companies that where there is some superficial agreement that there needs to be regulation, but when, when what they're referring to are these future models which aren't yet built. There is a, uh, a fear in some quarters, and uh, for lack of a better term, I've been calling it the, the, the Terminator option, that uh, in the future, AI becomes 
super intelligent and can begin working against human creators. Some argue that that is an overblown kind of worry. Do you see that as being a a, a realistic thing to consider and uh, let's say a, a possibility we should we should deal with? I don't give it zero percent uh, odds. You know, it, it could be something like five percent. Um, but what I think is really lacking right now in the debate is there's there's sort of this this polarization where um, you know one camp thinks it's going to be great and there's going to be no problems, and another camp thinks we're leading to uh, AIs that will literally kill everybody. Um, and so there's a, a sort of dearth of thinking about sort of middle ground scenarios that where where uh, there's still still a lot of disruption, but um, where things don't literally uh, go existential. And when you think about what it means to be a super intelligence, you know, there are certain limits, certain inherent limits. You know, these, these systems have to run on physical hardware in data centers somewhere. Um, and so they don't just arbitrarily uh, leap from the computer and and take over things. But we are on this this path, this ramp up, where within this decade, it's very likely we'll have systems that are human level in the sense that they can do basically everything a human can do and will be automatically superhuman in some ways because they will be able to work uh, 24-7, that you know they don't they don't talk back, uh, et cetera. Um, and it's worth thinking through what that means alone. This is sort of not quite super intelligence. It's not something that will take over the world, but it is something that's going to be dramatically disruptive, especially to our institutions, because our institutions are premised on certain things being hard and certain things being scarce, including human labor. Even more present than the possibility of what we just discussed is what's already happening. One area in which there already is some some real worry is about the, the ability of AI to create and accelerate, uh, whether you want to call it disinformation or, or misinformation, deep fakes and, and the like. Where is AI in terms of, of, of doing those sorts of things and perhaps leading to bad consequences? Uh, we're very close to that, right? So um, one of the sort of background facts is there's been this basic shortage bottleneck and the supply of advanced AI chips and, and graphical processing units to run these models. And, that, and as that bottleneck alleviates, a lot of this technology that already exists uh, will begin to scale up and be deployed. Um, because right now you can create very realistic deep fakes, for, for instance, but it, it does cost something. It costs access to these GPUs. And so that's being democratized very quickly. I, I, do, I do worry, though, that even though this is does present some real challenges to sort of our concept of uh, shared narrative and shared shared truth and shared reality, that um, you know we're, we're sort of pigeonholing this debate into things that we're used to from debates five years ago. You know, the disinformation debate has been you know, ever since the 2016 election and beyond. It's it's a, it's something that's very we're very comfortable with. It's backwards compatible with our existing commitments, and so I'm not denying that these are going to be issues. I just think um, it's sort of looking in the rearview mirror. And if if we have this sort of alien intelligence that's about to, to touch down on Earth this decade, if you really internalize that, you know, it's not that deep fakes are not an issue. It's just it's just uh, it's it's not the elephant in the room. So, so where should our focus be uh, right here and now? And in that sort of realistic debate you, you mentioned earlier, where do we find that, that balance between a regulation that is effective, 
but perhaps does not stifle the creation or, or limit the potential benefits of AI as it is still developing? I think we need to draw a very clear line between the companies that within their mission statement are trying to build AGI, artificial general intelligence or super intelligence, and companies that are merely commercializing and productizing the technology. Um, there are really only two to four companies in that former camp, and they will remain concentrated. Um, it's not like regulation will raise barriers to entry uh, such that we don't have more companies that are trying to build AGI, um, in part because the only way that you can do this in the, and compete in that, in that arena is having access to these massive uh, supercomputers, which really only Microsoft and Google and Amazon have access to. So they're going to remain concentrated, and there's a certain set of risks that, that are unique to that subset of the technology, including risks that aren't yet present because we're talking about models that will be released next year and the year after. Um, but th it, does, it does, I think, justify a special degree of, of scrutiny. Is the government the right body to deal with this sort of problem? Is the government too unwieldy, move too slowly to deal with the potential complications of, of something like AI? Uh, definitely. I mean, government moves far too slowly. And I think one of the issues here is that there's a meta risk that our institutions do move too slowly and that, and that itself is a risk. Um, so one of the things I, I have to say is, you know, there's this debate whether we need a new federal agency and um, you know, setting that debate aside, I think we, knew, we need new, new federal agencies. Like basically the entire firmware of the government is going to be um, challenged and uh, make it difficult to keep up and keep pace in this arms race with technology as it diffuses in the private sector. So one of my main missions here is to express that if we want to, you know, there's no pausing AI, unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, or, or fortunately, the, the Pandora's box is open, um, but there's a lot we need to do now to basically brace for impact. Um, and the effects on our institutions could be quite dramatic. And I, I would much rather see a world where our institutions co-evolve with technology rather than just be uh, have, rather than have the rug pulled out from under them. We sometimes hear that we need a Manhattan Project for X. We probably heard it just a few years ago when we were developing a vaccine for, for COVID. You've written a piece over at Politico saying a Manhattan Project for AI, these things we're talking about today. Why is this a, a proper subject to sort of apply that template to? And what would something like that look like? What would the goals be? I think there would be two main goals. One uh, is is to promote research into alignment and interpretability. So aligning these models, these more powerful models with human values and advancing the field of AI research called interpretability where we open up the brain of these AIs and, and study the neurons like almost like a digital neuroscience and try to understand how they work and can we uh, verify that they're they are safe, that they're not trying to deceive us, et cetera. So that's one component of it, advancing that research, which is, is lagging far behind the research into the capabilities of these models. And the second thing is to have a framework in place for the eventuality that's anticipated by these companies themselves of reaching the point of sort of having an everything company, right? So OpenAI, who's currently the leader in, in the space, has contingency plans where if they, rate, if they become basically a $3 trillion company, the entire company gets handed over to a nonprofit board of directors. And Anthropic, the other main competitor, has a similar plan where if they if they build AGI, they basically get handed off to a, a benefit trust. So they're both anticipating this this world where they become trillionaires 
they have a technology that can basically scoop up large cross sections of the economy, AI lawyers, AI doctors, AI, et cetera. And it, it, it will only get more powerful from there. And so I think it's, it's hard to imagine from where we sit today, but within the company's own contingency plans, pardon me, they, they do envision a world where they basically become a global monopoly. Um, and so I think it will be important as well to have a framework where the government can step in and perhaps uh, uh, create a joint venture between the major companies to align those companies with the national interest uh, because they will be a direct challenge to our sovereignty. A few times in a different essay you wrote, you mentioned the difference between the good guys and the bad actors and, and how AI might be used and leveraged in the future. Is it possible to create regulation? Is it possible to to act in, in this sector uh, with sort of those clear black and white lines? We know the good guys will stay bad guys and the bad actors are bad. The issue is that we, the technology is moving too fast for an older school mode of regulation that sort of premised on uh, a, a high degree of stability, right? Like the FDA, for instance, is premised on a certain annual amount of new drugs that are discovered and and so forth. And uh, this technology is going to demand a different kind of sort of regulatory mode. It's going to be have to be something that's much more flexible, that's much more arm's length with the companies building the technology. And so when it comes to bad actors, that's a, that's a very different question. Uh, even if we build... AIs that are aligned with our values doesn't stop Saudi Arabia or China or other other nations from building AIs that are not aligned with our values. And so part of that will require using our leadership to promulgate certain national standards um, around the world because this will be a global technology. I want to finish by asking a question about the economy and AI's effect on economic factors, especially on, on the workforce. There's some consternation about what AI will do to to well, creatively destroy jobs in the future? And should we look at the economy, take that into effect to protect jobs or and or to create jobs in a way that works hand in hand with AI advancement? How big of a role or should there be a role for economic considerations when we consider what we want to do with AI? I think there's an enormous role for government to provide certain kinds of platforms like unemployment insurance or basic social safety nets uh, that facilitate a degree of creative destruction because they're connecting social protection and economic security to, to a baseline platform rather than the company itself. Um, and I think especially with this technology, trying to preserve particular jobs is just a fool's errand. As Adam Smith talked about in The Wealth of Nations, you know, one of the, one of the byproducts of the Industrial Revolution was it, it destroyed and broke up the old European guild system where particular parts of the economy were protected by these guilds. And, you know, when you look at the writer's strike in, in Hollywood that, that's just wrapping up, you know, that's, they have guild in their name, <laughs> right? And so we have many, many uh, guilds in the current American economy from the American Medical Association to, to uh, the writers uh, in Hollywood to the bar societies. So there's going to be potential resistance from those, those sectors. And I think what we really need to do is to uh, to, rapidly adopt the technology, including in the context of, of retraining. And fortunately, the technology re lower, also lowers the cost to retraining because it makes um, it makes using technology, using computers much more intuitive because you can basically talk to the computer. Uh, and so maybe in the future, there will be a transitional stage where more and more human jobs look like 
basically managers of AIs. Samuel Hammond is senior economist at the Foundation for American Innovation. You can find more at the FAI.org. Samuel, thank you so much for joining us today on The Future of Freedom. Thanks, Scott. We thank both of our guests for joining us today. James Broll, Senior Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, CEI.org, and Samuel Hammond, Senior Economist with the Foundation for American Innovation, the FAI.org. For additional episodes of the Future of Freedom podcast and other fine podcasts from America's Talking Network, check out americastalking.com or anywhere you find your audio. Thank you for listening to Future of Freedom, presented by America's Talking Network.